Peace be upon you. The other day I heard a statement, and uh, it inspired me to write this uh, podcast and kind of get this out there, is the uh, statement is that big souls love, little souls hate. And you see this, that, you know, someone who has a malnourished soul, someone who hasn't developed uh, their soul, they always have a chip on their shoulder. Uh, They're always upset at the world, they're angry, they're frustrated, and uh, they're constantly, you know, fighting against uh, everyone and themselves, and they're just, you know, uh, people who are not pleasant to be around. And a believer who's developed and grown their soul, they're full of love and peace and happiness and contentment. And this this love and peace just radiates from them. And they're people that are just joyful to be around. And you see this, you know, spread throughout the entire world that people who have this uh, this strong belief in God, that God places contentment and patience and, you know, all these virtues inside them. And this this is seen in their day-to-day behaviors, in their interactions. Um, they have the state of peace and awe, you know, and they're not angry. They're not, uh, uh, you know, forceful people. And uh, again, this is a clear way to distinguish someone who's, you know, grown and developed their soul and someone who hasn't. And several times in the Quran, God tells us about, you know, the day of judgment and when we're, our souls, our credits are going to be weighed. In 7, 7.6 through 7.9, it says, We will certainly question those who receive the message, and we will question the messengers. We will inform them authoritatively, for we were never absent. The scales will be set on that day equitably. Those whose weights are heavy will be the winners. As for those whose weights are light, they will be the ones who lost their souls as a consequence of disregarding the revelations unjustly. And again, in 23, 102 through 103, we read about the day of resurrection. It says, As for those whose weights are heavy... They will be the winners. Those whose weights are light are the ones who lost their souls. They abide in hell forever. And uh, in chapter 101, it actually talks about that moment when, you know, the individuals, they lose their soul. And it's called the shocker. And it says, in the name of God, most gracious, most merciful, the shocker, what a shocker. Do you have any idea what the shocker is? That is the day when the people come out like swarms of butterflies. The mountains will be like fluffy wool. As for him whose weights are heavy, he will lead a happy eternal life. As for him whose weights are light, his destiny is lowly. Do you know what it is? The blazing hellfire. So again, we see that, you know, uh, we'll look at some of the characteristics of the big soul. You know, the soul that loves. And God tells us, you know, what these traits are, what this character is. And um, one of the most profound verses is in 41 verse 33 through 35. And it's entitled Submitters. It says, Who can utter better words than one who invites to God, works righteousness, and says, I am one of the submitters? It says, Not equal is the good response and the bad response. You shall resort to the nicest possible response. Thus, the one who used to be your enemy may become your best friend. None can attain this except those who who steadfastly persevere. None can attain this except those who are extremely fortunate. And you think about this situation, you know, you're in a situation where someone is, quote unquote, your enemy. Uh, you know, maybe they don't like you, they're a coworker, or they're someone at school, they're a bully. And, um, you know, you consider them your enemy. And God is saying to respond to them in the best possible response, the nicest possible response. And you think about what that does. What that's saying is that you realize that these conflicts that we have, these humanly conflicts that we have, they're absolutely irrelevant. And for someone who's grown and developed their soul, they realize that. And you think about, you know, how easily most people, they get upset and they get frustrated. You know, they get stopped behind a light or uh, the checkout aisle at the grocery store is too long. Or, you know, they they, uh, they lose their turn in a uh, copy machine or, you know, something happens that just upsets them. 
And God is telling you to basically resort to the nicest possible response. And when we do this, God can turn that enemy into your best friend. Not just any friend, but your best friend. And I've seen it happen for myself. There were people that I went to school with that I did not particularly get along with. Uh, and we considered ourselves quote-unquote enemies. And it's just, it's interesting when you treat someone nicely uh, and you go out of your way to be nice. And not because you're trying to please them, but you're trying to please God. God will change the situation. Now, what's interesting is consistently you see in the Quran, after God gives this very kind of like uh, this, this straightforward advice for the situation that's very difficult, God immediately tells us when the devil entices to you in, in 4136 says, when the devil whispers an idea to you, you shall seek refuge in God. He is here omniscient. And to me, this is telling me that this is a tough situation, that here's someone that you consider an enemy, um, you know, someone who you do not consider a friend, uh, who, you know, responds to you and God is telling you to respond in the nicest possible response. And it's at that moment that the devil wants to get to you and says, no, don't respond to them nicely, respond to them harshly, be mean, they don't deserve it, you know. And it's at these moments that we have to uh, to uh, uh, remember God and seek refuge in God, because the devil realizes we're vulnerable and is going to try to take advantage of that situation. And again, you see this again in 2396, is therefore counter their evil works with goodness. We are fully aware of their claims. And God is saying, you know, someone delivers to you evil to re respond with goodness. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be respond to goodness to them per se, but just respond in goodness. Don't let their bad attitude, uh, their bad behavior get you down. And again, in the following verse, God tells us, say, my Lord, I seek refuge in you from the whispers of the devil, and I seek refuge in you, my Lord, lest they come near me. Because it's at those times when someone is trying to get under your skin, someone is trying to push your buttons, that it's easy to basically take that same bad energy and reciprocate it, right, to bring it back into the world. But it takes real character and a real submitter to be able to have something, you know, someone treat them uh, badly or make a bad statement or do something that, you know, isn't uh, considered uh, the act of someone who's righteous and not be affected by that situation, but still to revert back and respond back with goodness. And it's because of these situations that God tells us immediately afterwards to seek refuge in God because it takes real character to do that. In um, 2563, it says, The worshipers of the most gracious are those who tread the earth gently, and when the ignorant speak to them, they only utter peace. And you think about this, you know, as believers, we have to walk humbly. We can never think that we're better than other people or, you know, we deserve more respect or more uh, admiration or anything of that nature. That, no, we walk the earth gently and we realize we're nothing, right? God has all power. God has all supremacy. Any kind of achievement of this world compared to, to what God has is nothing. You think about someone who's, you know, a millionaire, a billionaire, or is, a, you know, CEO or whatever, and it's absolutely meaningless. Imagine if you saw a colony of ants and someone told you that this ant is incredibly wealthy. Would you think anything of that? You'd say, well, he's still an ant. And we're even less than an ant when ants compared to God. You know, God reigns all supremacy. God says that he can hold the entire seven universes within his fist. That's how, that's the magnitude, that is the size, the greatness of God. For us to think that we're anything special in that regards in comparison to God is absurd. And you see people, they walk around and they think they are God. They think that, you know, people should uh, bow at their whims and do what they say and basically that they have full control. And you realize that this is a sign of a, uh, a malnourished soul. 
someone who's not you know fully developed their soul and they're full of just angst and uh, uh, paranoia and frustration and they take this out on their interactions and as believers we need to be above that in 3134 it says attributes of the righteous it says they are suppressors of anger and partners of the people now it's easy and this is the thing is God realizes that as believers we have no right to get angry because we believe that God is in absolute control. If you believe God is doing absolutely everything, there's absolutely no reason to ever get angry because anger is a sign that we're basically dissatisfied with what God has provided for us. Now things are going to happen in our life, but the response is that we shouldn't get angry. And the first thing is we do is we suppress anger. And eventually you get to the point that God willing, we won't get angry because we're going to be absolutely joyful to whatever God provides for us. Imagine watching a movie where you see, you know, the, the, the main character, he's going through hardships and struggles and this and that. And, you know, if we watched it and got angry, it would be kind of silly because we realize that all this is happening for the character development of that, that individual uh, to get them to the point where they're successful, where they can achieve greatness. And God is doing the same thing in our lives. And then the second part of this is, is and partners of the people. You know, it's so easy to hold a grudge. It's so easy to stay angry and disappointed and it takes real character and real trust in God to be partners. That when someone does you wrong or someone does something of you know bad taste, that you you let it go. You know you don't let it dwell on yourself. There's a quote. It says that holding on to anger is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to get hurt. You know the only person we're hurting when we're angry is ourselves. And we're not doing anyone any favors by being angry, by having a chip on our shoulders. And this is something as, you know, believers, as submitters, as we grow and develop our souls, that God willing, we're never going to get angry. You know, we're, all, we're only going to be radiating love and compassion and tranquility and contentment and peace. Uh, 16, 125, it says, how to spread God's message. It says, you shall invite to the path of your Lord with wisdom and kind enlightenment and debate with them in the best possible manner. Your Lord knows best who has strayed from his path, and he knows best who are the guided ones. In 16.126, it says, And if you punish, you shall inflict an equivalent punishment. But if you resort to patience instead of revenge, it would be better for the patient ones. You shall resort to patience, and your patience is attainable only with God's help. Do not grieve over them, and do not be annoyed by their schemes. So, you know, throughout our lives, we're going to have people who are going to try to do us wrong. They're going to try to uh, swindle us and, you know, mock us and ridicule us. And this is actually part of life. But if we trust in God and God says, if we resort to patience instead of revenge, that it's a true strength of character. And you think about how profound that is, that, you know, someone does something to get the best of us. And if we trust in God, God says, hey, look, you're allowed to basically uh, inflict an equivalent punishment. And that's fine. You have that right. But if you trust in God and you resort to patience, that this is better for you. And it shows the strength of your character. And the truth is that, you know, people that are going to scheme and they're going to try to annoy us and get under our skins. But we have to trust in God. In the past, we had the podcast about the coyote and the roadrunner. And you see that the coyote would do all these tricks, all these schemes to basically, you know, trap the roadrunner. But you never saw the roadrunner get upset. You never saw the roadrunner get angry. And uh, it's because, you know, as believers, as submitters, if we trust in God, we trust in the Creator, we'll never be worried that we're going to have one, uh, you know, one done on us. Because uh, we realize that God is the one who controls all outcomes. And it says that 
the devil schemes, but to God belongs the best scheming. You know, and consistently in the Quran, we see that the disbelievers, they were scheming against the believers, and all their schemes always end up backfiring against them. So the next time that someone is trying to do something to scheme against you, to get, you know, get under your skin, to, to get you in trouble, to uh, discredit you, or anything of that nature, if we trust in God and we realize that God is our boss, God is the only one that we need to impress, God is the only one that we need to be uh, thoughtful of, um, that he will take care of every other situation for us. And this is where it really comes down to. And you see, again, the other aspect of this verse is that the fact that it says when you debate with them, debate with them in the best possible manner. That irrespective, someone has a disagreement with you. Someone is trying to basically, you know, uh, criticize you. That God is saying to debate with them in the best possible manner and use wisdom and kind enlightenment. You know, it doesn't say to, to be uh, harsh and stern and, you know, uh, distasteful with these people and curse them and this and that. Uh, you see that God's remedy is the fact of basically resorting to patience using wisdom and kind enlightenment, you know. And this is the best way to communicate as believers. And again, it shows the, the degree of development of someone's soul. In continuation, in 42, 37 uh, through 43, we read more traits of the believers. So, you know, these are all traits of the righteous, attributes of the righteous. So this one is entitled Traits of the Believers. It says they avoid gross sins and when angered, they forgive. Again, we see this theme that, you know, when angered, they forgive. Because they realize they're not forgiving for the sake of the other person. They're forgiving for the sake of ourselves. Because we don't want to be holding on to that anger. We don't want that anger to affect our outcome. In 42.30, it says, They respond to the Lord by observing the contact per salat. Their affairs are decided after due consultation among themselves. And from our provisions to them, they give to charity. When gross injustice befalls them, they stand up for their rights. Although the just requital for injustice is an equivalent retribution, those who pardon and maintain righteousness are rewarded by God. He does not love the unjust. Certainly those who stand up for their rights, when injustice befalls them, are not committing any error. The wrong ones are those who treat the people unjustly and resort to aggression without provocation. These have incurred a painful retribution. 42-43, resorting to patience and forgiveness reflects a true strength of character. So again, God is telling us the limits. God says, look, if someone basically commits an injustice against you, you can stand up for your right, right? You can basically correct what is wrong. But if you trust in God, and you basically, uh, you don't resort to aggression or, uh, you know, trying to get vengeance, that God will take care of the situation. And it says, resorting to patience and forgiveness reflects a true strength of character. Now, how awesome is that? God is setting the boundaries. He's saying, look, if someone is, uh, you know, uh, if gross injustice befalls upon you, that you have every right to stand up for yourself. You know, God doesn't want people who are, quote unquote, softies, you know. God wants people who are, uh, who are firm, who can talk, you know, basically be able to stand up for their rights, uh, to say, you know, stand up for the truth. But the, the reality is, once you have that absolute trust in God, you allow God to fight your battles. You allow God to take care of the situation. It says, although the just requital for an injustice is an equivalent retribution, those who pardon and maintain righteousness are rewarded by God. That again, if we try to basically please God, 
that the best thing we can do is resort to patience and trust in God. And God takes care of the, the situation because God is the one who dictates the outcomes and controls the process. And we have to trust in the process. And one of the themes that in the Quran that we see consistently you know, uh, we've, we've talked about this before uh, in regards to Quran and liberty, is that people are free to do whatever they want as long as they're not aggressing against the other, anyone else. And 2190 says, you may fight in the cause of God against those who attack you, but do not aggress. God does not love the aggressors. And again, in 2193 says, you may also fight them to eliminate oppression and to worship God freely. If they refrain, you shall not aggress. Aggression is permitted only against the aggressors. As submitters, as believers, as someone who's you know grown and developed our souls, we have to never be the aggressor. This is a characteristic consistently you see in the Quran of a disbeliever. And what are the signs of a disbeliever? What are the signs, the characteristics of someone who has you know a malnourished, a little soul, who hasn't taken the time to basically nurture and grow their souls? And one of the best examples is in 2272. It says, violence and belligerence, signs of disbelief. When our revelations are recited to them clearly, you recognize the wickedness on the faces of those who disbelieve. They almost attack those who recite our revelations to them. Say, shall I inform you of something much worse? Hell is promised by God for those who disbelieve. What a miserable destiny. And you see that, you know, as disbelievers, they can't, they can barely contain themselves. They're so much full of rage and violence and belligerence that the mere mentioning of God's revelations is enough for them to want to attack you. And you see that this is the, the characteristic of someone who has not grown and developed their soul and has done quite the opposite. Someone who's completely you know, uh, mistreated and completely neglected their soul, that they have no control over their emotions. And the mere mention of anything of righteous offends them to the point that they want to attack the believers. And uh, you see this consistently throughout the entire Quran, that the disbelievers are always the aggressors, the disbelievers are always the instigators. Uh, you see this in the example of Pharaoh. You know, Pharaoh went and killed the firstborn of all the children of Israel because of fear. And uh, uh, what's interesting is that even despite that, when God commanded Moses to go to Pharaoh, God told Moses in 2043 and 44, says, go to Pharaoh for he has transgressed, speak to him nicely. He may take heed or become reverent. You know, Pharaoh who did all these horrendous acts. God is telling Moses to speak to him nicely. Why is that? You know, why is God telling Moses to speak to such a terrible individual nicely? He says, perhaps he may, you know, become reverent. And the reality is that when you speak to someone harshly, when you speak to someone condescendingly criticizing them, all you're doing is you're guaranteeing that they're going to be that much more fixed in their belief, that their defense system is going to go up, and when their defense goes up, that they're not going to take any criticism. And this is a possibility of allowing someone to basically be able to, to, to take consideration of the information and act appropriately. And again, we're not doing this because of our own good. We're doing it because of God. Because God tells us that, you know, when we debate with someone, debate with them in the best possible manner to resort in the nicest possible response. Because then the ball is in their court. And how they respond and how they react is going to determine their outcome. Um, in chapter 36, uh, it talks about the messengers going to a people. And the people say that we consider you bad omens. And the response from the messengers is your omen is determined by your outcome. 
how you react to a situation is going to solidify what the outcome of that situation is going to be because God is the one who's controlling the situation. And again, you see another example of, you know, a believer versus a disbeliever and how they, they react in a situation when you look at the, the history of Abraham. You know, Abraham was debating with his father. And in 1941, uh, we read, mentioned in the scripture, Abraham, he was a saint, a prophet. He said to his father, Oh, my father, why do you worship what can neither hear nor see nor help you in any way? Oh, my father, I have received certain knowledge that you did not receive. Follow me and I will guide you in a straight path. Oh, my father, do not worship the devil. The devil has rebelled against the most gracious. Oh, my father, I lest you incur retribution from the most gracious, then become an ally of the devil. He said, so this is Abraham's father. Have you forsaken my gods, O Abraham? Unless you stop, I will stone you. Leave me alone. And you see that this is the response for someone, you know, a disbeliever, someone who hasn't grown and developed their soul, is that they immediately want to resort to violence, to belligerence. It's, you know, threatening, I'm going to stone you. And you see how awesome Abraham is. Says, Abraham's response, as opposed to getting angry, upset, in 1947 through 48 says he said peace be upon you i will implore my lord to forgive you he has been most kind to me i will abandon you and the gods you worship beside god i will worship only my lord my by imploring my lord alone i cannot go wrong so this is peace be upon you he responds you know he says i'm going to stone you he says okay peace be upon you <laughs> like how awesome is that you know this is something that we all want to strive for that someone's going to come and say i'm going to kill you say okay very well thank you peace be upon you <laughs> 4125, who's better guided in his religion than one who submits totally to God, leads a righteous life according to the creed of Abraham, monotheism, God has chosen Abraham as a beloved friend. And you see, this is the reason why. What character, you know, what sign of just absolute someone who's grown and developed their soul, that when their own father is basically threatening to kill them, they still respond in kind. In 1174-76, when Abraham's fear subsided, um... Okay, so a little background in this. And you see, okay, so one of the things is there's certain acts as believers, obviously, we, we will never condone. You know, we always, we can, we're very cut and dry with uh, what is considered moral or immoral and, you know, what's considered sin sinful and, you know, we shouldn't partake in. But the, the reality is even though that people, you know, we don't, dis, uh, we don't agree with it, it doesn't mean that we can go and attack these people or be uh, mean to them or anything of that nature. And you see this, that, you know, consistently there's people, they're, uh, they're idol worshipers, uh, they're liars, they're cheaters. They're all these, you know, people who have these terrible traits. And God is telling us consistently in the Quran to, to pardon them, to forgive, to forget. And uh, you see this characteristic again with Abraham. That when the uh, the angels came to him to give him the uh, the news of uh, Isaac and Ishmael, uh, that or sorry Ishmael and Isaac, uh, that they told him about that they're going to basically annihilate the uh, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, and in eleven seventy four and seventy six is when the Abraham's fear subsided and the good news was delivered to him. He proceeded to argue with us on behalf of Lot's people. Indeed, Abraham was clement, extremely kind, and obedient. O oh, Abraham, refrain from this. Your Lord's judgment has been issued. They have incurred unavoidable retribution. You know, as believers, we never tolerate immorality. You know, say, for instance, if someone wants to, you know, uh, commit, um, you know, any kind of uh, vice, they want to do drugs, they want to drink alcohol, uh, they want to, uh, you know, uh, have uh, uh, committed, well, you know, they want to uh, commit in acts that are, you know, non-Quranic, uh, non-righteous. We will never condone the behavior. We'll never say that, oh, this is acceptable, this is fine. You know, we always hold our ground. 
You know, we, we never basically uh, waver. We're not wishy-washy in that regards. But at the same time, we realize that, hey, people can decide to do whatever they want to do. And um, because of that, we, we respect uh, people's autonomy. You know, we respect as long as they're not harming anyone else, um, it's up to them. And uh, this is something, again, it shows real character that you can basically uh, live in the vicinity of other people and not fight and oppress them, uh, that you allow them to make the same mistakes because at the end of the day, you realize like any sin that they commit is on their own neck. Uh, as believers, we have to be firm. Uh, we can never uh, tolerate, you know, in essence, uh, sinful behavior for ourselves. But if someone else wants to partake it, as long as they're not victimizing others, that is up to them. And, um, you know, this is a perfect example with, uh, with Abraham. Uh, and then in continuation, so another example that we have is with Joseph. You know, Joseph's brothers, they, they threw him into a well and they left him for dead. And, you know, years go by and now the tables have turned and Joseph is the, uh, you know, the highest ranking children of Israel in all of Egypt and he controls all the provisions and his brothers are going and seeking provisions from him. And you would think that now that Joseph has the upper hand, that he's going to go and, you know, basically completely get even with his brothers. And this is awesome. So in 1288 through uh, 93, it reads, um, when they entered Joseph's quarter, so this was Joseph's brothers, they said, Oh, you noble one, we have suffered a lot of hardship along with our family, and we have brought inferior goods. But we hope that you will give us full measure and be charitable to us. God rewards the charitable. He said, so this is Joseph, Do you recall what you did to Joseph and his brother when you were ignorant? They said, you must be Joseph. He said, I am Joseph, and here's my brother. God has blessed us. That That is because if one leads a righteous life and steadfastly persevere, God never fails to reward the righteous. They said, by God, God has truly preferred you over us. We were definitely wrong. He said, so this is Joseph's response. There's no blame upon you today. May God forgive you. Of all the merciful ones, he is the most merciful. So this was Joseph's response. His brothers left him in a well for dead as a child. He lost his entire childhood with his family. And his response is, there's no blame upon you today. May God forgive you. How awesome is that? You know, to just to have that level of belief, to realize that, look, Joseph had that understanding that this was the path his life needed to take for him to reach the level he needed to go. And obviously, this isn't something that from, you know, day one would seem apparent. But if you have that trust in God, you realize that all this is meant for your good. That irrespective of your brothers, you know, uh, left you for dead, sold you to slavery, you know, had all these things happen to you, that he can respond, there is no blame upon you today, may God forgive you. That is awesome. That's really cool. And uh, you see in continuation, in uh, 5.13, it says, uh, consequence of violating God's covenant. So these are people who basically betrayed the believers and God is telling us the believers how to respond. It says it was a consequence of their violating the covenant that we condemned them and we caused their hearts to become hardened. Consequently, they took the words out of context and disregarded some of the commandments given to them. You will continue to witness betrayal from them except a few of them. You shall pardon them and disregard them. God loves those who are benevolent. You know, despite having these people betraying them, you know, turned their back away from them and that God is telling us that even though that you will continue to witness betrayal from them, except a few of them, that you shall pardon them and disregard them. God loves those who are benevolent. That here's people who basically completely sold you out. They've turned their back on you. And, uh, I mean, this could have caused the life lives of individual because this was at a time of war. 
And God is telling them to pardon them, disregard them. And God loves those who are benevolent. And, um, you know, we see this again in chapter 7 in regards to the idol worshipers. And God tells us how to react, how to respond. Um, in Psalm 191, it says, Is it not fact that they are idolizing idols who create nothing and they themselves are created? Idols that can neither help them nor even help themselves. When you invite them to guidance, they do not follow you. Thus, it is the same for them whether you invite them or remain silent. And in Psalm 196, it continues, God is my Lord and Master, the one who re revealed the scripture. He protect, protects the righteous. As for the idols you set up beside him, they cannot help you, nor can they help themselves. When you invite them to guidance, they do not hear, and you see them looking at you, but they do not see. You shall resort to pardon, advocate tolerance, and disregard the ignorant. Now, What's awesome is, you know, then it falls on. It says, when the devil whispers to you, any whisper, seek refuge in God. He is here omniscient. Uh, that again, that you see this theme that when God tells us to resort to pardon, advocate tolerance and disregard the ignorant. These are people who are uh, being harsh and mean uh, that, you know, it's tough sometimes to do that. But God says, if we seek refuge in God and we trust in God, that God will make it easy for us. That, you know, even if someone has the completely wrong belief, uh, that we still resort to pardon, advocate tolerance, and disregard uh, the ignorant. You know, so the last thing that we just want to talk about, is there limits to kindness? Is there a point where we say, okay, enough is enough, you know, we put our foot down, and there is. And uh, you see this in chapter 60, verse 8 and 9, that God tells us um, exactly, you know, at what situation is it that we put our foot down, and, uh, you know, at that point, the response that you're going to get from a believer a submitter is one of uh, uh, one that's going to basically stand up for themselves and uh, be harsh and stern. Uh, and it's in 68 and 9, it says, Basic law regulating relations with unbelievers. It says, God does not enjoin you from befriending those who do not fight you because of religion and do not evict you from your homes. You may befriend them and be equitable towards them. God loves the equitable. God enjoins you only from befriending those who fight you because of religion, evict you from your homes, and band together with others to banish you. You shall not befriend them. Those who befriend them are the transgressors. That God is saying very clearly here that if someone fights you because of religion, and this is talking about physical fighting, right? Evicts you from your home and bands together with others to banish you, that these individuals we are not allowed to befriend. You know, we are not to allowed to be friendly with. And this is a very extreme case. And you see this with Moses, because in the previous verse, in chapter 60, verse 4, it says, uh, Abraham, an example, says, A good example has been set for you by Abraham and those with him. They said to their people, We disown you and the idols that you worship beside God. We denounce you, and you will see from us uh, nothing from us except animosity and hatred until you believe in God alone. Now you think about where Abraham was pushed. I mean, you see Abraham's examples where his uh, father says, oh, I'm going to stone you, and he responds with peace. And they said, we're going to basically uh, annihilate the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he, he basically puts a defense for them. Uh, but what was it that brought Abraham to say, you will see from us nothing but animosity and hatred? And what it was, was you think about Abraham, if you study the history of Abraham in the Quran, that his people basically, they threw him into a fire to die. That these are people who have gone so far down the deep end that there is no hope for them. Uh, you know, when people are at that level where they're, you know, fighting you because of religion, they didn't, you know, throw him in the fire because they didn't like him or something of that. They, they threw him in because of his worship of God alone. And they try to band together with others to evict him and to banish him. And for these people 
this select group of people, this is the one that we are not allowed to befriend and we have to be harsh and stern with. Um, and uh, you see it consistently in the Quran in 4821, it's 29, it says, Muhammad, the messenger of God and those with him are harsh and stern against the disbelievers, but kind and compassionate against themselves. And again, you know, uh, this, if you read the, the context of the verses, it's in regards to war. And we know that Prophet Muhammad, he was banished from Mecca. He was uh, exiled to, uh, he fled to Medina and they were constantly uh, being attacked and uh, harassed by the uh, the disbelievers uh, to the point until he got victory. And uh, again, you see it in 3, 118, 120, says, Do not befriend hypocrites, O you who believe. Do not befriend outsiders who never cease to wish you harm. They even wish to see you suffer. Hatred flows out of their mouths, and what they hide in their chest is far worse. We thus clarify the revelations for you, if you understand. Here you are loving them while they do not love you. And you believe in all the scripture. When they meet you, they say, we believe. But as soon as they leave, they bite their fingers out of rage towards you. Say, die in your rage. God is fully aware of the innermost thoughts. When anything good comes your way, they hurt. And when something bad happens to you, they rejoice. If you steadfastly persevere and maintain righteousness, their schemes will never hurt you. God is fully aware of everything they do. So these are people, again, that they, they want terrible things to happen to, to people for strictly believing in God. That they want disaster to fall upon them. And, uh, you know, hatred flows out of their mouths. And God says here, what they hide in their chest is far worse. That against these people, we are not allowed to be friends with. We're not allowed to be uh, to friendly with, to be kind with. Uh, that God tells us that we have to be harsh and stern. And in 58.22, it says, run for your life. It says, you will not find people who believe in God in the last day, befriending those who oppose God and his messenger, even if they were their parents or their children or their siblings or their tribe. Uh, for these, he decrees faith into their hearts and uh, supports them with inspiration from him and admits them into gardens with flowing streams wherein they abide forever. So, you know, we have to ask ourselves, you know, if we have a conflict with someone, do they meet these criteria? Are they fighting us because of religion or is it a personal matter? Are they evicting us from our homes and are they banding together with others to banish us? And if they meet these three requirements, we are not allowed to be friends with them. We are not allowed to be kind to them. We have to be harsh and stern. But you see, for everyone else, God is telling us to basically pardon, to forgive, to forget, uh, to respond in the best possible response, to be uh, kind and compassionate. Um, and uh, even in the point that if you have hypocrites, because one of the things we're, you know, we're not allowed to befriend hypocrites, uh, God tells us how to, to, to react, how to behave around these people. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, assuming that they're not falling within these three requirements. Uh, 488 says, why should you divide yourselves into two groups regarding the hypocrites among you? God is the one who condemned them because of their own behavior. Do you want to guide those who are sent astray by God? Whomever God sends astray, you can never find a way to guide them. So God is telling us, don't divide ourselves regarding, you know, hypocrites among us. This is a reality throughout all uh, time. There's always going to be the believers, the hypocrites, and the disbelievers. These are the three criteria people. And God is telling us not to divide ourselves uh, regarding them. And that they basically will be in a situation where they can't handle to be around the believers. And um, God explains this to us in 6.125. It says, whomever God wills to guide, he renders his chest wide open to submission. And whomever he wills to send astray, he renders his chest intolerant and straightened, like one who climbs towards the sky. 
God thus places a curse upon those who refuse to believe. And what this means is that, you know, as we get higher in elevation, the amount of oxygen diminishes, making it harder to breathe. And this is what happens to the disbelievers when they're around the believers, that it becomes hard for them to tolerate, to be able to withstand the presence of so many people who are just happy and joyful and content and full of, you know, love and peace. And this just disgusts them at the point that they want to leave. And just to end on a little note, uh, eagles do the exact same thing. An eagle can fly incredibly high heights, and what happens is that crows consistently want to basically bother the eagle. Now, the eagle could go and, you know, totally mess up these crows. He's, you know, multiple uh, times its size, much better uh, flyer, but what the eagle does is that it soars up to heights that the crows cannot withstand. And when he goes up to those heights, the crows basically just go away. And it's the same thing. If we have people in our lives that bother us, that disturb, uh, that disturb us, that are trying to get under our skins, that are trying to push our buttons, when we elevate ourselves, when we elevate our uh, spirituality, our belief in God, our reverence for God, when we do this, they can't stand to be in our presence. And they'll either have to conform and uh, you know reap the positive benefits, or they basically go away. Um, God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got any comments or questions, hit us up at Korantalk at uh, gmail.com. Again, that's Korantalk at gmail.com or on Twitter at TalkKoran. And uh, check out our Quran study notes at uh, QuranCity19.com. And until next time, peace and God bless.